Welcome back, Housing News listeners. This is Austin Lloyd, and I'm the producer of this weekly podcast, which is a proud member of the Industry Syndicate. Today, you will be listening to Episode 4 of Season 3, which features Glenn Stearns, who has undoubtedly been one of the biggest names in mortgage lending over the last 30 years. Stearns, who founded Stearns Lending in 1989, joins the Housing News podcast to discuss his new company, Kind Lending, which touts itself as a fresh and edgy approach to mortgage banking. Additionally, the Trailblazer discusses current market conditions which have been changing each day as coronavirus continues to take its toll on the mortgage industry. According to Stearns, who survived the housing crisis of the 2000s, mortgage companies will not only need to invest in technology, but they'll also need to learn to communicate. But before we listen, Clayton will bring you a word from our sponsors. Going into the third season of Housing News, we're thrilled to welcome our sponsors, ArchMI and Quicken Loans Mortgage Services. With interest rates at historical lows, refinances are booming. How do you win this business? It's simple. Lower the MI premium for your borrower. The newest feature of Arch's innovative RateStar platform, the RateStar Refinance Retention Program, makes it possible. Eligible borrowers with loans already insured by ArchMI can refinance into new loans with a lower MI premium payment. Give your refi customers a better deal. If you'd like to learn more about how RateStar powers possibilities, visit archmi.com forward slash RateStar refi. And to learn more about Quicken Loans Mortgage Services, visit qlmortgageservices.com. Thank you for listening. And here's episode four of season three of the Housing News Podcast. Hey, Housing News listeners, this is Clayton Collins, the CEO at Housing Wire, and we are back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. Today, we are joined with uh, one of the veterans, one of the, the legends of the, the mortgage industry, Mr. Glenn Stearns. Glenn, welcome to Housing News. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? Doing excellent. And uh, I mean, as we, we talked about a little bit before we hit record, this is a tumultuous week, um, cr- crazy times. Uh, we're, we're recording this on, on March 19th, and I usually don't timestamp these, but because the market is moving so quickly, um, it's kind of nice to, to, to let our audience know exactly where we are in this time period um, when we're having this conversation. Exactly. Or we well, should be at home, shouldn't we? We should. I've I've been at home for the last uh, all week. I came into the office today. Um, I'm the only one here, so I'm like self quarantining in our office. That's um, right. Are you at your office now? I am too, but there's about six of us in a uh, yeah. twenty five thousand square foot floor, so I think we're okay too. Yeah, social distancing there. Um, I mean, that's at, at Housing Wire. Our whole team is home and remote now. Is uh, did you you send your kind lending team remote? We did. Yeah, most of them are at home. So, uh, you know, they, there's a few that need to be in here, but, but really, uh, same thing out of respect and, and not just for the people, but anybody that catches it, who they could give it to. So yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. On, before we kind of get into your history and your story on, on this topic of, of work from home, since we're in this time period right now, um, how was it challenging for you to, to get your people remote where did you have the technology and capabilities ready? Uh, what, yeah. what's been like kind of the challenge there? Uh, you know, it actually wasn't that hard because we've done it before in the past. And, you know, when you scale to a national, you know, mortgage size, um, you've got a lot of underwriters and a lot of other people that maybe aren't going to be able to come into an office, but you need those quality people. So we've been used to over the last five or six years, you know, getting people and and getting them to be able to work from home. So having that technology has helped 
And I think a lot of the industry has gone that way and has been there before. Um, I know a few companies that haven't had um, that philosophy. You know, they wanted everybody under one roof and they're having some struggles. But but uh, the others that realize there are great people out there that maybe live, you know, off the beaten path. Uh, we've been able to tie in those type of folks in the past. And so this has made it you know, a little easier to be able to have done it before, I guess. Yeah, I imagine at different points in, in history, this would have been a, a lot harder to, to socially distance before we had the technology we have today. And, and with, uh, with 30 years in the industry, it's probably a good place to kind of jump off and introduce you to our audience and then uh, and talk a little bit more about how you got into mortgage lending and, and how you came to start, um, start Stern's lending um, back in 89, if I'm correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up in Maryland and, um, as soon as I graduated college, I, me and a buddy drove out to California. Uh, I found myself sitting on a bench over Corona Del Mar by myself, looking at the ocean and these beautiful homes and people. And I walk up to the man in his yard. I said, what did it take you know, to get this house? It's so beautiful. And the guy tells me he's the gardener, you know, he says, uh, <laughs> I'm not the owner, senor. I'm the gardener. And uh, I said, okay, well, what's this guy do? He said, I think he's in real estate. And literally, I decided to stay and go into real estate. And um, so uh, I became a loan officer in 88. Did that for almost a year, about 10 months. And then uh, uh, started my own company. Um, the saying, ignorance is bliss, is very true. I had no idea what I was doing back then. And uh, we were a little broker company for, you know, probably two, three years, and uh, then got into mortgage banking and, uh, you know, very small line at the time and uh, started and realizing that there was no way we would ever compete with back then the warehousers and the countrywides and, you know, the North American, the, there were big companies back in the 80s and early 90s that um, uh, I didn't anticipate I'd ever get that big, but uh, what we did do is start getting the government contracting, and um, we we became a uh, title and escrow settlement company for HUD. Um, did that for years, became the largest in the country, had 75% of, of the country. Um, then I became an auditor for HUD, became the largest auditor in the country. And so I began to understand more probably on the, um, you know, when you think about um, loans from a different from a technical point of view, I guess, you know, from the government's eyes, uh, especially as an auditor. And, um, you know, so that kind of led us into where we, we employed direct endorsed underwriters to be our auditors. And um, we rode that uh, wave up until, you know, the, the early 2000s. And when the world fell apart in 07, 08, we converted our, um, excuse me, we converted our underwriters that were auditors back into underwriters and uh, rode that new wave. And, and at that point, we realized, wow, you know, maybe we could be one of these larger lenders. And, you know, the rest kind of was history. We became the largest a wholesaler, second largest lender at one point. Um, and, you know, we did, we did fairly well in, you know, the 2000s and, uh, you know, up until about uh, five years ago when I sold it. 
And back in the back in the earlier days when you were doing government contracting or an auditor for HUD, um, was that under the the Stearns Lending or Stearns Holding umbrella? No, no, that was a, okay. a couple other companies I had. We had United Housing um, Services, which still to this day we do a lot of audits for different mortgage companies out there. We do a lot of their post closing and uh, pre QC work. So it's a it's a company that's just been around for twenty something years and. It's led by my old president at Stearns Lending. Uh, she leads the ancillary businesses, including appraisal management companies and things like that. So, okay, tell tell us more about that that run from um, the o- 07, 08 until you sold the business on becoming one of the the largest lenders in the country with a with a. And tell well, us more about the the business lines you were in and, and wholesale and et cetera. Yeah, no, well, I'll tell you something I think that's relevant for today, and that is. Um, uh, in 07, probably, uh, I guess about September 07, I remember very well we'd lost about 85% of our business. We had a hundred and something million dollars of buyback loan. I had class action lawsuits. I had the Department of Corporations, you know, asking me to re-audit five years of loans and pay prepaid interest and per diem interest and all kinds of stuff. Anyway, the, the, there was a very dark time in uh in our lives, but also in, I think, in everybody in the mortgage business um, at that time. And what I ended up doing is I got a clipboard and I just wrote down every single person that said either I owed them money for, you know, loans that went south or, you know, I had too much space or whatever it was, it didn't matter. And I just went to each one of those relationships and said, let's lock the door. Let's figure out what we're going to do. You know, and you're either going to work with me or you're going to tell me to pound sand. And I just need to know which side are you on. And then I'm going to add up my check marks and I'll know what I need to do. And um, so, you know, getting through that was probably one of the hardest things I'd ever done. And when I got through, you know, we were so much stronger and better off for, for doing it. And I think we're about to hit that time again right now. If you look at what's happening with, with everybody. While it seems so great, and it is, there's a lot of guys that have so much volume that they've got pair-off issues and they've got so many issues with warehouse lending that they're going through a lot of these same things again, you know, and, and a, a lot of people that aren't close to this industry might think it must be the heyday for the mortgage guys. But if you've got appraisers that aren't going to go into a home because they're, they're worried about catching you know, the coronavirus, if you've got um, lenders that now have to re-verify whether the borrower is even working or not, you know, you can cause problems and delays and and that's going to cause, you know, you to have to extend locks. And and there's a lot of issues on the back end with, um, you know, the capital markets groups and things with, with this business that people, unless you're pretty close to it, understand. And so uh, it might be, you know, some scary times or for the mortgage industry. So I'm kind of glad I'm, I'm, I'm getting in, but I'm not quite in all the way. Yet, you know? <laughs> well, we'll come back to your, on, on the, the early stages of getting, getting back in uh, on that topic of, of challenging times for warehouse lenders. Can you go a little deeper on exactly like what those challenges look like for warehouse lenders right now? We, we we're hearing a few anecdotes at housing wire of, of different jumbo or non-QM lenders starting to, to stop locking or freezing up. And um, we're just trying to get a better feel from experts that have, have that been around the mortgage banking 
world through, uh, through one of these challenging times, what exact challenges warehouse lenders and their clients are facing right now? Yeah, so, so imagine you've got so much capacity and you run out of capacity and then you want more and, and they decide whether they'll give it or not to you based on your net worth. And then if you don't have enough and you've got these loans locked on your, loan, on your line and then you, you can't deliver these loans because you're so delayed. So they start to give you haircuts, right? They say, we don't like, and they're not comfortable with, you know, having a 2% haircut. We want more. Well, suddenly they start calling more capital. So all of these things, along with, again, if you have uh, problems or issues because you're paying off loans because rates are diving or skyrocketing or whatever is happening, uh, they're causing a lot of cash issues, right? So the more problems you have on that end, the more the banks get nervous, the more they don't want to own these loans. And so they start pulling back and, you know, you've got everybody in fear. And so you've got to have some time, you know, you've just got to calm it down. I know a couple of the really big lenders that we all know have decided to, you know, either stop their originations or, you know, limit their um, loan officers to one or two loans uh, on the call centers, you know, a day where they, you know, and so there's a lot of people going through these problems and, you know, it doesn't mean they're, they're weak companies. They're pretty strong companies. It's just this is a very extraordinary time. And um, so, you know, people that have been, you know, in, in pretty strong positions that had the ability to take on a whole lot of volume uh, could be in, you know, having some serious issues right now. So, so 10 days ago, the industry was talking about throttling with interest rates and using pricing to control capacity and volume. And, and now you're, you're kind of pointing toward also like literally throttling the, your team's ability to only do one or two loans at a time if they're in a call center environment. Right. So if you think about it, if you go out and you say, I have, air, I have warehouse problems, that's kind of the kiss of death, right? People start running. If you say, you know, I have problems with capacity because I can't handle it because of our underwriters or, you know, we don't have enough. <laughs> yeah. Again, kiss of death. So what do you do? You raise your rates. You raise your rates to try to slow it down. But what if it doesn't slow down, right? Because people are just still, there's so much volume. And that's what ended up happening to a lot of people is they kept raising their rates, but volume kept coming in because everyone did that. And now you've just got still the most amazing rates that, you know, people have ever seen. And Yet they could have been, you know, theoretically they could have been lower, but everybody's raising and now, you know, and when they, they'll, they'll make pretty good money on one end, but again, they've got pair offs on the other end, right? So, you know, what's it going to end up? How will it settle out? Um, how many times going to tell? But, um, you know, so it, again, in the long run, I think some will do well and others, you know, might not be around, unfortunately. So as we, we talk about lenders who, who can't, handle the, can't handle the volume either because of uh, uh, capacity in the warehouse lines or capacity in their, in their operations centers, are there any other options out there? Like is brokering loans an option or, or um, I guess if you're a depository, like maybe you have different funding models, like are there any bright spots in the industry right, right now because of? Well, sure. I mean, yeah. you know, if you think about last time you had, you had a lot of the banks that were involved in this more so than now, right? I mean, it's shifted to the independent bankers a lot more. And so now you've got this capacity issue because of credit lines. You know, the brokers have a much better position because where they can send their loans, right? They can look at 
turn times, they can, they can see who's having those problems and then they can either, you know, put their loans there or take their loans away from somebody else. You know, we were thinking, you know, when we get into the market here and deciding whether it's going to be, you know, next month or when are we going to time it right, we'll have 24 hour turn times where people are going to have a month turn times, right? How long will that last? You know, not long, right? And so it is, um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, uh, places to go when you, when, when you're in, when you're a broker, <coughs> excuse me, there's a lot of places to go when you are a broker because you can go to a bank or you can go, you know, and find the, 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 the right uh, independence that maybe have figured a way out of, out of this mess right now. All right. Interesting. So you, you are in early stages of a, of a new venture. Um, so kind of backing up a little bit, you exited the mortgage industry in 2015 when you sold a majority stake of, of your business, your, your namesake business, uh, Stern's Lending to, to Blackstone. Um, what, what is bringing you back to the mortgage industry in, in 2020? And I, and I know you, you, you announced and you've been in market since before we hit this coronavirus recession craziness, but, but what brought you back in 2020? Yeah, you know, I mean, a couple of things happened. In, in 2015, I had um, I'd gotten cancer in my throat. And so that kind of put a, a you know, a, a shock through my system of what was important to me. Uh, you know, my company, extremely important. The people that had been there had been there for 20, 25 years. I mean, we, we were very proud of the longevity of people that uh -huh. worked there. Um, but I thought it was good timing for me to, you know, literally sail on because I went and bought a boat and said to my family, let's just go around the world and, you know, and I'm going to focus on my family. And that's what I did for, you know, a year and a half or so, two years. And um, just kind of got the mortgage out of my system <laughs> and, um, and thought that Blackstone could do a good job. I, you know, they had been trying to buy me since uh, about 2019, I guess. I mean, 2000. Mm -hmm. Oh nine, right? Nine. And um, every year we kept doing better and better than what we had projected, what they projected. And so finally, when we did that, I thought you know they'd be good partners. Um, you know, you know, I got out and um, and decided I was good. I was going to stay out. And then I kind of got the bug again a couple years ago, and I realized at that time they were very content with having. Um, the CEO and the people that they picked and put in there. Um, I went and said, maybe I could step in and, and they said, we're, we're comfortable. So that's when I realized, Oh crap, I can't, you know, I can't get back in the business because I had a non-compete while I still owned a percent of that company. And, um, you know, again, I wasn't involved in the day to day. I wasn't involved yep. in anything really. Um, I'd been on the board, but, um, you know, I was one voice out of mostly Blackstone people. And, um, so when I found out, you know, I couldn't compete, it kind of irked me for a while, you know, I was stuck. And so when they finally shook out of their deal and they, they went and reorganized, it gave me that freedom to um, come back in, you know. And so the minute that happened, I uh, picked up the family. We were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, moved back to Southern <laughs> California and said, let's do it one more time, you know. That's that's crazy. So it was that it was the chapter 11 and the, the battle with Pim between Pimco and Blackstone that ultimately kind of freed your handcuffs and, and let you back in the game. 
That's it. And, and That's, Hey, I mean, I, you know, it's got my name on the door. I wish them yep. well. Um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get to be as involved in any of that, uh, at all. So, you know, when, when it happened, um, I was disappointed in the fact that, you know, I didn't think, um, that was how I'd like to see that end. But, um, but at the same time, I knew that I could do it again, you know, and, and, uh, uh, I had actually been one of the bidders. I wanted to bid on the company and you know, they worked a deal You're out. With coming out of bankruptcy? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I would have liked to see, you know, myself be able to do that, but it didn't work out that way. And, um, uh, you know, so it's okay, you know, so yeah. we move on and, and um, we ended up, you know, saying, all right, let's go back at it again. And so here we are. The, the one great thing about, um, uh, Blackstone wanting to move or really Stern's deciding to move down to Texas because we were in Southern California. You know, they, they went down and they left hundreds of great people in Southern California that went to other places. So in reopening, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, my loyalty had been with a group of people where they kind of got scattered, which was nice because it didn't hurt any one company. You know, people are coming from all over the place and, that feels better because I don't, I don't want to, you know, go after, open my doors and have everybody run from one company. Um, I don't want to hurt another company, yep. but, but at the same time I'm opening and those that want to come, you know, I, I, if they're got free will and they want to come over and they liked the kind of the environment that we had, I'm, you know, I'm all for it. Excellent. So, so before we kind of get into the new venture, um, <clears throat> I want to kind of go back to your, so you, you sailed around the, the world for a year and a half. Um, and you were still handcuffed from going back into mortgage, but that didn't stop you from other business ventures. So I, I know you were, uh, you kind of pre pretty active on, uh, on television, reality TV, um, with an entrepreneurial bend. Can you tell us a little bit about that path? Sure. Um, you know, I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I did a show a long time ago and, um, maybe like 15 years ago. And it was, they called me and said, you know, somebody that I knew referred my name. Well, I ended up doing the show and, and, um, that worked out fairly well. I'd won the whole thing. So for years, these guys calling, Hey, you want to do a show? You know, and I was working, I, I wasn't, you know, interested in, in that kind of stuff. And then, you know, now I'm kind of off, but people kept calling. And every time I'd say, you know, I'll tell you one show I do, you know, strip me of everything, put me on a Greyhound bus, give me a hundred bucks, you know, that kind of stuff. And They'd always leave, okay. And then finally, someone called me back and said, if you're really willing to do this, basically naked and afraid for business, right, then we've got the place for you. And it was Discovery Network. And um, I said, if they're serious, I'm serious, you know. And so, you know, I, I, um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but it became the biggest challenge, you know, of my life. I mean, it was really um, a, a, a tough tough, um, you know, 90 days. But what happened when I came out of it was perfect timing because not only was Stearns deciding that they, you know, were going to reorganize, but I that's when I really realized, hey, I like getting up every day. You know, it, I mean, I went out and worked when I was doing that reality show from 8 a.m. to 10, 11 at night, 100 days in a row. I missed five days to go do some charity events and stuff. But for basically 95 days, I worked. and I like the rhythm again, you know, getting up, doing it, going in, you know, and, and, and trying to slay the dragon, so to speak. And, 
And um, so I thought, hey, this is great. Now I want to do it again. So uh, it worked that perfect timing to, to jump back in. That's wild. I did not realize the show concept was, was yours. So un- undercover bar- barbecue, very, very <laughs> underdog barbecue. Very nice. It's, it's interesting. You did it through discovery. That was actually, um, uh, that was my introduction to media. I was a M&A banker at Royal Bank of Canada. We did a lot of, uh, sell sides for discovery. Um, we sold uh, petfinder.com, how stuff works, a few other assets that they had acquired for the reality TV business that never came to fruition. Um, but that's a kind of funny coincidence. Yeah. Um, so, so Glenn guiding us forward here, um, in early March. So just a few weeks ago, you announced the launch of, of kind lending. So tell us what is kind lending? What's the business model? Did you launch with any partners? Um, how, how, how did this get off the ground? Okay. So I said, all right, I like working. I want to go back into it. What do I, what am I going to do? And I thought, you know, I really enjoy, I mean, the broker has been so underrepresented for years until uh, UWM came along. They're a good, t- good company. And they um, really helped with AIM, which is a group that's out there, Anthony Casa, that's helped these brokers. And so you get this kind of revitalization of, of a group of people that have really been a big part of this industry forever. Um, back in the day, you know, I kind of felt like no, I was the only voice for them. It felt like, you know, we were as a lender, I mean, we were reaching out. And, and, and then since I left, you know, they kind of really started to, to, to make a big impact. So I thought I want to get back into that business. I enjoyed it. I, I like competing against, you know, my other um, bankers out there. And that was fun. And so let's go try this again. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, who owns New American Funding? You know they um, they are uh, in retail primarily. They they said, Glenn, come on in, tuck yourself under us. We can you know utilize you know you can teach us wholesale. We can learn and then spin it off whenever you get all your licenses up and going. So I like the model. It was you know it was inexpensive. It was quick because the back end what we both decided is it's such a utility when you think about. Everything from human resources, IT, you know, capital markets, accounting. So if we could utilize, both of us utilize that back end, we take, instead of running five or 10,000 loans through, maybe it's 15 or 20,000 loans through a month. And now we can cut that cost down because you're looking for ways to really to do that, right? But, you know, competitors don't want to share. Well, I don't have that problem. I've never been you know, uh, afraid to walk into a competitor and say, well, how can we work together? And since they're doing retail, I was doing wholesale and we could share that back room. Then, you know, let's see if it works. And so while I get my license, we're going to be able to see, is this working or is it crazy? And I'll just spin off and that'll be the end of it. Yeah. I can't so think that was a quicker way to get a, a shop off the ground than a partnership like that. And definitely great economies of scale for both sides of the business. Uh, right. you, you brought up UWM and, and aim one of UWM's value props has been that they are like solely in that, that wholesale lane. And I know that's been a big topic of the, the aim crew as well. How, how do you, how do you think of that and like conflicts between wholesale and reset retail as you get off the ground in this partnership? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything to do with New American Funding, right? And so what they do is different, separate from me. So uh, more power to them. They believe in the retail model. Uh, you know, I'm more of a wholesale model. However, with that said, there are some brokers 
that do not want to deal with all the red tape, all the paperwork, and that they want to tuck up under a lender. And I've done that. I've had brokers come in. So you could look at that as retail, but I, I look at it as they're, they're sort of independent because that they have that independent thinking. They, they can come under us and work as like a retail shop, but I like it better because they're entrepreneurial. They know how to save money, you know, and it's not just a shop in retail that you got out there that, you know, is, is out on its own. So we may have some retail, but if I am, you know, if I am, let's say, pretend I was 1% of, in retail of business. That means that 99 times out of 100, no one's ever going to know that I'm existing. So yeah. I'm not going to make a big impact in retail. I don't plan on it. It's hard. It's different. It's not what we do best, you know. But joint ventures, we love joint ventures if it's with a builder or if it's with a real estate company. Yep. So we're going to do that, you know. And if there are brokers that want to tuck under us or some, we do have some retail um, people that have worked with me for 20 years that know what they're doing. But again, I don't plan on going out and, and really going up against the, the broker myself that, you know, that often. And, um, and if people have a problem with that, then they're really concerned about the wrong things because I'm not out to try to bend the broker. I'm out to try to help the broker. And, and I know the brokers know that, you know, they've known that's been my reputation as well, that I want to see them grow as, as Anthony does. And Anthony and I have yeah. some, had, had some good conversations over at AIM. Uh, and, and same with um, Matt over at UWM. So, so that model's unique and not kind of really what I anticipated. So it, like you're opening up the door for broker shops to kind of tuck in and be exclusive brokers to, with, with client lending, or do you expect them to maintain other wholesale relationships? Uh, they can if they want. I mean, they can come okay. under us and they want a broker, they can, but you know, they'd be owned by us and there'll be kind of what we call them branch bees, you know? Okay. Um, some people like, you know, it's the same model with dentists right now. You got the big dental practices that have 500 dentists under them because they don't want to do all the paperwork, you know. They like, you know, to, to, to be on the front lines and they want to produce. And so, you know, if there are companies out there like that, but again, I'm not actively going to go out and open 100 branches of retail. That's, that's, I don't do that well. And I'm definitely not going to do a call center. That's a completely different model and it's hard, you know, and it's different. So that's not you know, where I haven't had success in that in the past. So, so you, you came up with a, a pretty uh, good brand. I like, I like kind lending. It's a, it's, it could play well in a, in a retail or consumer direct uh, model, even though I'm hearing that consumer direct's not the interest. Um, how are you thinking about uh, geographic focus? Are you looking at all 50 States? Like where, where are you starting? Where are you going? Yeah, we'll, we'll do all 50 States and um, you know, we'll probably have, three big service centers, you know, we won't have one and we won't have 10, right? So East coast, West coast, probably in the middle. And, um, but so a little bit different than before, before we had more. And, uh, I don't know that you, you need a whole lot more than that. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll go that route. And then, you know, it's, what's different with kind, I think, than the other lenders is I've done this before and for many, many years, and I don't want to do it again the same old way. Like I, I, regular mortgage banking, forget about, I mean, when you do a loan for a customer and that's the first home they've ever had, or, you know, that's wonderful, right? I mean, putting someone in a home, you know, is, is a beautiful thing. But when you're doing a transaction every day and it can begin to get flat, right? I mean, any business, right? So I don't want it to be flat. I don't want people to come in and spend a majority of their life 
working, right? That's what people have to do, eight, 10 hours a day. Yeah. I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy it. You know, I want them to, you know, to really, you know, it's all about the culture. And we had that culture. I mean, we, we had a 1,500 people and five people left in one year. You know, I mean, you know, and, and, and you hear groups talking about 30, 40% turnover. I mean, yep. that's hundreds of people you have to retrain, right? So we won't probably pay the top because it's not all about money. I've watched you chase money and people are still miserable and they do it because they're stuck. I want people to be happy and I want them to get treated fair and get paid fair, right? But then I want to come, I'll give you an example that I probably shouldn't share right now, but I will. Um, so we're going to have the broker portal, right? So the brokers get to go in there. Well, what does it have to be? It has to be quick and efficient, I mean, it has to be fast, right? So we're calling it the quickie, okay? So if you want in, you gotta get the quickie, right? And, you know, <laughs> and our tagline is we're easy, you know? And so, you know, we're gonna have lots of fun with it. We wanna laugh at ourselves. We don't wanna just be this stiff mortgage company, you know? It's just yep. life's too short. I found out that with cancer. And if people don't like it, don't work, that's okay, right? But I think majority of people want to laugh, want to feel good, okay? And what we've said, if we go over the line, tell us, and we'll apologize, okay? But let's have fun. I don't want to be politically correct. I don't want to worry about that. And then, and then, again, people just don't come around if you're one of those real stuck-up type of people. And, and that's okay, because there's enough people that really want to enjoy their life and make you know, more than just a job, they want to have a career where they're really proud of what they've done. And so we're going to try to make it fun and have people want to come to work. There's a, there's a shop for everybody. So it's glad I'm happy to hear that you're serving the folks who want a more fun environment. So yeah. I, I know, uh, you, you didn't anticipate starting into this coronavirus recession, but is there anything about what's happening in today's market that's that's influencing your strategy influencing your decisions your technology choices like how how are you adapting in these really early stages of of being live and and public in the launch of this new business um with the environment we're facing today yeah you know i mean you look at a lot of these um you know a lot of take take um docusign for example right or docutech ty jenkins great friend of yeah. mine and he just sold to First American two weeks ago. And um, so, you know, those kind of companies, we've got to think, how do we make it easier on the borrower so that uh, maybe it's not going to be, you know, the coronavirus, you know, but, but how do we make it easier so that they can do these things at home, right? I've taken the loan documents that are this thick and we've gone through every single item and said, do we really need this? Because when you're a 30-year-old company, you put one more piece of paper in because you want to cover your butt and you put another one, you know, and then 30 years later, it's this thick, right? But the, you don't the, take the that out. Debt. Exactly. So why don't we start fresh and let's look through and say, what's really needed? And, you know, and, and what isn't? And then, you know, let's become much more efficient as a company. Let's try to, you know, instead of um, having teams of people overseas because we're dealing with the front end so that we can get our disclosures out. Let's let the brokers help us get the disclosures out. You know, they want to do it anyway. They want to get up. They want, they don't, they want to have as much of power as they can, uh, you know, and not lose that, uh, that loan to, you know, some black hole. They want to be able to do as much as they can. So we're finding ways to work more as a partner and then we can, 
you know, move the loan along a lot more efficient. So just a couple examples of things that, you know, we're looking at that are, I think are different and, and all and the software, my goodness, of course, right. You know, you need a great software. Some of the legacy softwares out there, um, the problem is it's legacy software, right? I mean, they, they, and, and they're stuck kind of, how do I get out of it? You know? And then if you're, I'm talking even for the software owner, you know, you've got the software, how do you convert? And then you've got all the people that are in it. How do you get out? So we went in with a fresh new software that's just being stood up. It's got only a few uh, lenders on it right now called Blue Sage, you know, and it's completely yep. um, new. And we're adapting that and, and writing a lot of the code for ourselves with, with the broker portal and whatnot. So we can, you know, have the back end quick, easy, and mostly it's, um, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, where you know you can slip pieces in and out, and you don't doesn't affect the whole chain. I can't remember what they call it, but um, anyway, and um, we're like so a, a configurable platform, or is that kind of? Uh, yeah, it's, it's not the right yes. word. Yeah, and so, but 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 it's it's newer than you know all the stuff that's been around for ten or or so years, you know, and so we think we're going to get off to a a better start, you know, and more efficient way to do business. Um, and you know, we're real pleased with the amount of people that have wanted to come over in this time when you have everyone just buried, we got buried with, with a, a lot of, um, uh, resumes. So if you're out there and you gave a resume, I'm sorry if we haven't called you back yet, but we care, you know, and we are slowing it down a little bit too. Um, we were hoping to get open, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks, but we've thought let's push it at least a month because of all the chaos going on. So okay. we'll keep, you know, tightening up our uh, software and everything. And so you're and not, not officially time. lending yet. No, we're not officially lending. Okay. Yet. Well, Glenn, we usually wrap up these episodes with some advice for the loan originators and real estate agents in our audience, but kind of given the, the market and given your experience as an executive, I, I'm, I'd love to hear your advice for, your, your fellow mortgage banking, mortgage lending executives that are leading their teams right now to weather this storm. And we know the industry has to band together and, uh, and get capital out to, to homeowners right now. So, so, so what is your advice to the other lending execs that are listening to the episode on how they can lead and weather the storm? So I'll give you a story first about that, if you don't mind. Um, I got a call in 2008 and it was from one of my warehouse land lenders, my main one, the biggest one. And um, at the time, I think I only had three. And this was 70% of, of my business. And they said, hey, Glenn, party's over. I said, what do you mean? We're getting out of the business. We have 90 relationships and we're, we're done. We just, we can't deal with what's going on. I mean, Lehman's falling, the world's crashing. And so we're out. And I said, we, we just, we don't want to deal with it anymore. You know, we're keeping a handful of relationships. That's it. We've got to go. So I'm really sorry, but we've, we got to pull the line. And, um, and I said, uh, okay, um, let me process this, right? That was a Thursday. So um, Friday morning, about 8.30 in the morning, I called him back and I said, you know, I was thinking about what you said. Um, and there's one thing that kind of rattled in my head. You said, we're done, we're out, but we're keeping a handful. And I said, um, I want to talk to you about that handful. And the guy said, okay. And I said, but I'd like to look you in the eye, if you don't mind. And I said, um, uh, that's important to me. And he says, okay, well, I'm in New York and you're in California, so it'd kind of be hard to do that. 
And I said, no, I said, I flew all night. I'm, I'm in your lobby and uh, <laughs> I'd like to come up and look you in the eye. And he ended up keeping us and Quicken back then. Okay. So my advice to a lot of these other, um, you know, owners or CEOs is communicate, communicate and communicate. And when things are the toughest, do not bury your head in the sand. Go fly to wherever you got to fly all night, do whatever you've got to do, but get in people's space and make it work and make sure you, you know, you, you're really, it's going to look like there's no way out and there probably yep. isn't, but you got to figure it out and you got to do it through, through constant communication. I love it. one of my uh, investors always gives me the advice bias to action and get on a damn plane. And um, I, I think your story is the epitome of that advice. Glenn, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for getting on today. This is such a tumultuous, crazy, busy time and sharing your story and, uh, and your path forward. So we really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure learning more about you and uh, the business you are starting to build right now. I enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. Thank you again for tuning in to season three of the Housing News Podcast. And one more thank you to our sponsors, Quicken Loans, Mortgage Services, and ArchMI. And please don't forget to rate the show and leave us feedback on iTunes. We'll see you next week.